the Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the curiosity shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon only Facebook group where all of our insomnia lives. It does. It does. Mm -hmm. But it does so delightfully. It's true. It is very chill. Yes, we are a, a, a no-drama, all-weird sort of uh, deal. So, I highly recommend it. Do it. <laughs> yes. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, You'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. So, hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, Opaquely odd. Merrily morbid. Marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins Season 5, Episode 1, Putting wow. the Cult in Cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I go by she and her. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. So, hey. Hi. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> well, I'm missing several words. Uh, for those of you who may not have listened before, I'm autistic and um, my burnout manifests in just mysteriously missing words and i have been uh, i started a new job um you did I, an amazing one <laughs> i am teaching an art class uh at a schmancy private boarding school um it's contemporary embroidery so it's basically the same thing I always do but I decided you know what the heck and so now I'm teaching teenagers <laughs> and well I think it's actually going all right I think so too yes but I teach on Wednesday nights and so Thursday recordings are probably going to have a little confused blinking on my part. And that's okay. I frequently yeah. have confused blinking. <laughs> <laughs> so how, uh, how are you? I mean, I already know the uh, answer, but everybody else <laughs> needs to. I'm recording live from my blanket board, literally, because... <laughs> I was going to say, it's true. <laughs> Because uh, I forgot to put check propane tank on the calendar, <laughs> and it's out. So they're on the way, but it's real cold in the house right now. Um, so I am bundled up. Um, I am glad that the multi-theatrical production of <laughs> 2023 has come to an end. Uh, because yeah. it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, the, yes. I mean, we could probably just do an episode of running all that down, but I'm going to say the most notable thing from all of that that you guys um, would be interested in is that after decades of being an unsolved cold case, uh, the murder of my aunt has been solved. Yes. Um, there's a lot in that a goes big on way. <laughs> right. It's in a big way. Um. 
So if you would like to hear more about that, we I am doing an exclusive Patreon only um, episode. Uh, actually, next the next Patreon will be this. And I'm going to talk about uh, growing up as a family member of a victim, um, my relationship with the true crime community because of that. Um, mm mm-hmm. And then basically the case, uh, what happened, what was taken, how it was solved, uh, and what Pandora's box, the solving of it, then opened. Because it's oh, not goodness. truly over, but <laughs> but it is, yep. if that makes any sense. So, And delightfully, your mom did tell the FBI to listen to our podcast. She did. My parents were so... <laughs> so sweet and so excited about it so um hi fbi if you're listening to the podcast thank you for all hi. our work you do you are amazing <laughs> and we appreciate you um but i'm glad i'm glad 2024 is here um i kicked off with some things and i'm like i am gonna do these things i wanted to do these things but i'm gonna do these things like my this year it's just about um nope i'm just gonna do it i'm not gonna overthink it i'm just gonna do it it's true i'm being dragged along I like it. <laughs> Out of love. Out of love. So, uh, yes. Oh, always. also, <laughs> my mermaid length depression hasn't been cut since COVID air mm-hmm. has now been lopped off. It's still long, but not like down to butt anymore. And my bangs are back. <laughs> it's true. And they're very cute. Thank you. And I have new glasses on the way, which I'm excited about. I'm excited about those, too. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Um, my grandmother, who has been dead for many years, mm-hmm. sent me a Christmas present from beyond the grave this year. I love that, and I'm not surprised. Like it, <laughs> like it, Well, and what it is is even weirder. <gasps> Ooh. All right. So my dad was in his basement just going through some of my old toys and stuff to donate them and he texted me a photo of this wrapped christmas gift that said to Haley, love grandma pearson and i and like she has been dead a long time i mean not a terribly long time but like no i remember long enough that very that present yeah what's that i remember from very serious crafts i remember Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we were all baffled um, at where this wrapped Christmas gift with a tag on it came from. Like, how did it end up in my toys in the basement? Like, no idea where it came from. It wasn't there last time my dad went through stuff. And, like, I... Yeah, it it was strange. And so my uh my stepmom was very curious about it. And so she um on a FaceTime call with me and my dad uh started shaking it. It's metallic and it's heavy, but it's like palm sized. Hmm. And she put it on the male scale <laughs> and <laughs> I can't remember how much it weighed, but it, like two and a half pounds or something, like more than something that size should have weighed. Yeah. <laughs> and So, my grandma Pearson was kind of odd um, in the uh, sort of grew up in the Depression kind of way. Okay. And so, my dad, for reasons unclear to me, didn't want to open it. He thought I needed to open it because apparently grandma Pearson would find way to send me a Christmas present from beyond the grave (laughs) because she's like that um so it finally arrived and I opened it and it was a like you know the um like the clear yogurt containers that are like not the biggest ones but sort of the medium sized so it was that filled with pennies There must have been a reason, 
Like, there must have been a conversation. I must have said something. I have no idea. But, yeah, completely filled to the top with pennies. And so I was like, all right, I think I can narrow down the years since it's a container full of pennies. The uh, most recent penny I can find is probably going to be the year. And so <laughs> this, uh, this Christmas gift came from the year 2001. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and so I have, I have no idea, but I love copper. I was going to say you got to like glue it onto something or turn them into some like piece. Well, all of my um, altar supplies yeah. are copper. And so I, it's kind of perfect. So I'm going to find a nice container and just put them all in there and have them, like, what a solid uh, bit of ancestry um, for, you know, ancestor work. Grandma wants to hang on your altar. <laughs> a, you know? a Christmas gift that arrived so many years after the fact. <laughs> that is so amazing. Like yeah. yeah. It was it was a bright spot. And also my biggie cat died. <sighs> R.I.P. Biggie. Yeah. It was uh it was rough and I don't want to talk about it right you now. You don't need to. So um but I did want to let People know because I know that a lot of people on the internet knew him, and so. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that would give us a good moment to take a quick break and thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. And. Yes, thank you. Give a very special and Totally normal, not at all creepy. Welcome, shout out to our newest members, Haley Brandt Erickson. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Josh Neff. And I know that I'm pronouncing that one right because he's one of my favorite humans. Hi, other Haley. <laughs> Spelled the same, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, hi, Josh. I know you from the internet. <laughs> Um, but yes, so thanks so much, and you're the best. best. And you know, we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Absolutely. And if you want in on this fun, not only will you get some really great surprises, but you'll get a huge backlog of Patreon only episodes. We're talking like 66 of them. Locked and loaded, ready for you to listen. That sounds threatening. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be. Joy. No. <laughs> yes. So if you listened oh to goodness. our, oh, if you're patrons and you know this, uh, we split up an episode last time around to try to alleviate the sheer craziness that was going on in both of our lives and so this week uh you're stuck with me like Haley's getting a break and gets to listen and uh you guys just have to listen to me babble um I'm excited I get to hear a story it is it is quite the story quite the story so the holidays are now behind us and through the decade thank goodness right uh, they've been celebrated around dining tables worldwide with all of the best food that's made like once a year and complete with the fancy silverware. And odds are yes. that fancy silverware was made by Oneida. And, I, <laughs> and I'm about to ruin that shit for you just a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So today I am going to talk about the Oneida community, a perfectionist religious communal society founded by John Humphrey Noyes in 1848 near Oneida, New York, that would eventually become a company known for silverware. 
Side note. It's a cult. Yeah, right. Oh, so, so cultish. Uh, side note, it is pronounced Oneida, not Oneida, like many out there say. Like, I watched so many videos that said Oneida. Um, the Oneida people are a Native American tribe and First Nations band. They're one of the five founding nations of the Iroquois Confederacy in the area of upstate New York, particularly near the Great mm-hmm. Lakes. So if we're going to steal their land, we can at least learn how to maybe pronounce their name correctly. So, Oneida. And I do think that, generally speaking, people who live in that area, like, it's the name I know. Right, 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 right. Pronounced that way. Um, so, this is a deep dive that I have been wanting to do for ages. Uh, and I was really excited. And it definitely took me on a journey of, hmm, okay, fuck yeah. Wait, wait, what? Oh, no. No, could we not? To absolutely <laughs> not! <laughs> um, it's touted as one of the longest-running and most successful utopian societies in America. But I will be issuing a trigger warning that negates all of that for me. Um, so, okay, all right, let's just dive on in with, uh, with Dude Guy here. So, John Humphrey Noyes was born September 3rd, 1811, in Brattleboro, Vermont. Hey, that's where I am. Right? To John Noyes, who worked variously as a minister, a teacher, a businessman, and, oh, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. And Polly Noyes, nee Hayes, who is aunt to Rutherford, B. Hayes, the 19th president of the United States. Oh. So, Hot right. Damn. So, born pretty much at the pinnacle of white male privilege, no matter what decade yeah. you cut it in. Uh, Polly was pretty passionate about her religious beliefs. Um, I've seen a couple articles where they use the term forced them on her children. But, like, really? I mean, I. I don't know, pretty much most parents encourage their offspring to follow their religion. Also, her husband was a minister. So, you know, take that as it is. I don't think it has any bearing on any of his. It's not like, you know, we're not talking about a Carrie situation here where I think it had anything to do with it, really. Um, No matter which one. Ah. So, as a teen, uh, it was said that he was pretty shy because he he felt awkward because he he was a ginger. He had red hair and and freckles, and he felt that he was ugly. But don't worry, he outgrew that. Um, in eighteen thirty, he had a glow up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Uh, in more ways than pretty one. much. <laughs> so you know, start to call it's fine. Uh, in eighteen thirty one, yeah. a twenty year old noise was influenced by the preaching of Charles Grandison Finney, a leader in the Second Great Awakening, which at some point we'll probably cover. Um, the Second Great Awakening, not specifically Finney. Uh, and he underwent, like, a religious conversion. Quote, my heart was fixed on the millennium and I resolved to live or die for it, Noyes later recalled. Uh, he graduated from Dartmouth College. Uh, shortly thereafter, he kind of chucked his plans to study law and enrolled at Andover Theological, Theological Seminary with a view to entering the Christian ministry. There was his first mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now in fall of 1832, he left Andover to enter the Yale Theological Seminary so that he could devote more time. I mean, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> more time to Bible study. Uh, in addition to attending daily lectures, practicing his preaching technique and engaging in biblical study, he began to dip his toe into political activism. Um, So according to the 1902 book, American Communities and Cooperative Colonies by William Alfred Hines, uh, during this period, noise aided in the organization of one of the earliest anti-slavery societies in the country. And devoted part of his time to religious labor among the black people of New Haven, which that's amazing. Amazing. Uh, Like New Haven, Connecticut? (laughs) Yes, New Haven, Connecticut. So, 
during we are so around where i end up all the time right now it's very weird because <laughs> i live where the uh white people u.s history comes yep. from. uh so during his second year at yale he made a discovery uh that he well he did he pretty much thought it was like a major theological discovery so while attempting mm. to determine the date of the second coming of Christ, like you do in college, <laughs> you know. Um, sure. We've all been right. there. <laughs> he became convinced that the event had already occurred in 70 AD. So, quote, mankind was now living in a new age. 70 AD. Yeah. That's pretty quick. Right? This kicked off noise becoming increasingly concerned with salvation from sin and perfection. So he began to argue with his colleagues that unless man was truly free of sin, then Christianity was a lie and that only those who were perfect and free of sin were true Christians. This internal, like, religious crisis brought about a new conversion with him after which he began to proclaim that he did not sin. So what did he mean by that? (laughs) Uh, well, remember his buddy, Charles Grandison Finney, uh, who had influenced his conversion? Well, he advocated yeah. the idea of Christian perfectionism, that it was possible to be free of sin in this lifetime. Uh, and Na- Noyes pretty much took that up with fervor. Uh, Noyes maintained that because he surrendered his will to God, everything he chose to do was perfect because his choices, quote, came from a perfect heart. His, the- uh. his theory centered on the idea that the fact that man had independent will given to him from God, therefore rendering it divine. So the only way to control <laughs> mankind's will was with spiritual direction. Noise proclaimed, quote, it was impossible for the church to compel man to obey the law of God and to send him to internal damnation for his failure to do so. End of quote. He claimed that, quote, his new relationship to God canceled out his obligation to obey traditional moral standards or the normal laws of society. End of quote. Oh, so we're just uh, going all in with full sin life and calling it God. Pretty much. As a result, Noyes started acting on impulses from his intuition rather than giving thoughts to the actions or consequences. All this caused his friends to think him slightly unbalanced. (laughs) He began to be called a heretic by his own professors. On, (laughs) I mean, no shit. On February 20th, 1834, he proudly declared himself perfect and free from sin. And this declaration caused an outrage at his college and his newly earned license to preach was revoked. (laughs) You had... He had a license. Yes. So, um, which you know, hmm. I mean, yeah. After Yale booted him, he returned to Putney, Vermont, where he continued to preach, declaring, "I took away their license to sin, and they go on sinning. They have taken away my license to preach, and I shall go on preaching." Uh, the Putney community began to take shape. It started in 1836 as the Putney Bible School and became a formal communal organization in 1844 and was thus basically the beginning of the Oneida community. It's said that Noyes ended up developing a thang for one of his earliest followers, a woman named Abigail Merwin. She, I feel shocked. She was not maybe as smitten. <laughs> and she was already married. Uh, and noise distressed over the situation. Uh, and that led him to come up with the concept in 1837 of, quote, spiritual spouses, which evolved into, quote, spiritual polyamory. I mean, I'm all for polyamory, but like, right. dude. His belief was that traditional marriage made each person the, quote, selfish possession of one another and did not give them the ability to love all men and women equally. He noted in a letter in 1837, quote, when the will of God is down on earth as it is in heaven, there will be no marriage. Exclusiveness, jealousy, quarreling have no place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
I call a certain woman my wife. She is yours. She is Christ's. And in him she is the bride of all saints. She is now in the hands of a stranger, and according to my promise to her I rejoice. My claim upon her cuts directly across the marriage covenant of this world, and God knows the end. End of quote. Hmm. Uh, in 1838, he managed to snag himself a wife, Harriet Holton, and they actually had a traditional Christian marriage in the beginning. Tragically, though, in the first six years of the marriage, Harriet gave birth five times. Four of the five. Oh, no. Four of the five births were premature, and only one of those children survived. And that is oh, gosh. absolutely heartbreaking. And I can completely understand how that would spiral anyone out. You can also see the effect that watching his wife go through that repeatedly has on some of the uh, community beliefs later on, at least one major one. Um, so yeah. it, it led Noyes to begin his study of sexual intercourse in marriage. In May of 1846, <laughs> Noyes had a romantic attraction to the wife of early convert George Cragen. He persuaded the Craggins and Mrs. Noyes to merge their unions into a complex marriage in which both men were married to both women such that they could have sex together. And um, the two couples moved. All of yeah, them? Yeah, and the, I don't know, the two couples moved it like to a common house that same year. I kind of like right, that. Like, there's, there's some... I mean, as long as everybody's exactly. on board. Exactly. There's some... Everything about this, adult-wise, is very consensual. And yeah. there is some very wonderful things that occurred and could be used as, you know, good examples for future things. Um, so some of the shit they did right. Um, so the membership of what Noise was now calling... The Society of Inquiry, he's just tossing around names for a while, uh, had swelled to nearly <laughs> three dozen followers. In 1846, the idea of spiritual polyamory also took the next step when Noise encouraged 10 people, including himself and two of his sisters, which kind of you, to enter a marriage contract, meaning that all were married to each other. That contract also made John H. Noyes the father and overseer whom the Holy Ghost has set over the family thus constituted. Which, hmm. that's a little creepy. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure it came to surprise of exactly no one when uh, in October 1847, Noyes was maybe indicted on charges for, quote, adulterous fornication. Because e uh -oh. even if it was consensual, shit was still illegal. Um, after arraignment in court, Noyes absconded to New York and moved his group to a farm along Oneida Creek, where in 1848, the Oneida community was officially born. So let's get into what exactly the community was and how it went from fornicating to forks. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. Uh, once again, let's get into what exactly the community was and how it went from fornicating to forks. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of pillars that made the United community wonderfully progressive. And I was cheering for them. But again, there's a very glossed over hor horrible element that is never called out for what it is. Uh, and I will be calling it out. I'm also, I don't know if I'm more angry that it happened or that it's never, it's not called out. It's infuriating though. But I'm going to start with my favorite one. How women's roles were viewed. Progressive uh -oh. as fuck by any de like decade, but immensely so for their time. Women were essentially equals. They didn't have to abide by the hmm. fashions of the time. They were free to have short hair. They, a lot of them wore, like, the functional bloomer style, like, clothing, tied to kids. Hell yeah. Tied to kids all day. 
At these ladies, there was communal childcare system that handled that for them. Want to pursue work in business and artisan, work out of the farm? Go for it, girl. They weren't the ones solely tied to domestic labor. Guys did housekeeping as well. And women were equally supported in pursuing whatever roles made them happy. They were also encouraged to, pl encouraged to play all sports. Didn't want to be a mom? That's fine. Most likely from watching the pain and suffering of his wife. Uh, Noyce firmly believed that being pregnant was essentially the bane of a woman's existence. He felt that it stopped women from fulfilling their spiritual potential, reduced their happiness, and harmed their health. So, I mean, okay. Right? So during the time period in the U.S., the life of most women was spent in like a perpetual state of being pregnant and caring for babies and a fair percent of those like died in infancy. So um, that's a pretty amazing buck against the system. Lastly, women actively shaped commune policy, participating in the daily religious and business meetings. So again, hmm. like on every level, just equal. Now the downside of this is that should you be one of the few with children, once the child reached the age of weaning, it went to live in children's housing where they were like raised collectively by nurses and teachers. Uh, parents were to have the same huh. love for all the children and like not signal out their own in any way. Like the free love concept extends to the kids in so many ways that it's, kind of fucked up uh so free love yes. yeah noise is the og hippie and he actually is credited for coining the term free phrase free love that's kind of hilarious. right uh this was also known as complex marriage that i mentioned earlier where any member was free to have sex with any other who consented possessiveness and exclusive relationships were very frowned upon complex marriage meant that everyone in the community was married to everyone else all men and women were expected to have sexual relations, and they did. The basis for complex marriage was the Pauline passage about there being no marriage in heaven and meant that there should be no marriage on earth, but that no marriage did not mean no sex. But sex meant children. Uh, not only could the community not afford children in the early years, the women were not super enthusiastic about that whole being pregnant all the time thing. Uh, they developed Fair. a distinction between amative and pro propagative love. So propagative love was sex for the purpose of having children. A mate of love was sex for the purpose of expressing love. The difference was what Noyes called uh, male continence, in which the male partner <laughs> avoided ejaculation. Noyes argued... Oh, now, that, that's stupid. If you're going to be fucking everybody... Right? At least, come. right? Uh, but Noyes argued that this practice not only kept them from producing unwanted children, but also taught the male considerable self-control. And that system worked really well. So, male, what now? I guess another perk of being a woman in the community was you could, well, you know, climax all you wanted. And that was one of the actual main goals of sex. Guys, nah, no finishing for you. Huh. So, in male continence, Noyes argues that the method simply, quote, pro pro proposes the subordination of the flesh to the spirits, teaching men to seek principally the elevated spiritual pleasures of sexual connection, end of quote. Hmm. So, the primary purpose of male continence was the social satisfaction to allow the sexes to communicate and express affection for one another. The second purpose was procreation. Male continence appears to have served as an effective form of contraception, as according to Volume 209, Issue Supplement 4 of the Journal of Urology article entitled Sexuality and Silverware, the Story of Male Continence in the United Community, states <laughs> there were only 12 unplanned births in over a 20-year period in this community of lots of sex having 300 people. Hmm. Which is crazy. It also sounds rather uncomfortable yeah. and possibly unhealthy. 
Uh, it is I, unclear yeah. whether the practice of male continence uh, led to significant problems. Sociologist Lawrence Foster sees hints in Noy's letters indicating that masturbation and antisocial withdrawal from community life may have been issues. You think? Uh, Oneida's... <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> Oneida's practice of male continence did not lead to impotence, though, so there's that. Now, there wasn't a complete ban on children. Uh, if a woman wanted to become pregnant, not just have sex, she and the man of her choice uh, had to apply to do so. If the couple were deemed su oh. sufficiently spiritual by a committee, they were allowed to procreate. It's noted that there are only nine known instances of applications to have a child being rejected in the community. Um, you know, I guess all pro also props to it all being whether the woman wanted this or not. So hmm. the downside is another part that's not mentioned a whole lot or focused on is that. Uh, so they had this thing called stripaculture, which was a proto eugenics program of selective. Did you say stripper culture? <laughs> Stirp stripaculture. Oh. <laughs> I was like, although, wait a minute. Although <laughs> this place is a I'm party. I'm to bet. <laughs> um, so it was selective controlled reproduction within the community. So it wasn't okay. just the whole. I mean, the reasoning behind it was like it. it I don't know. It just sounds different. Like when it's worded that way, and it it wasn't solely yes. about the woman's choice in motherhood. It was also designed to create a more spiritually and physically perfect child. Um, oh, okay. So as I just mentioned, community members who wished to be parents would go before the committee um, to be approved and matched based on their spiritual and moral qualities. And 53 women and 38 men participated in this program, which necessitated the construction of a new wing of the United Community Mansion House, which is huge, still open, and proudly has a website. All the right. experiment yielded 58 children. Nine of them were fathered by noise. Okay. So again, once the children were weaned, usually around the age of one, they were raised communally in the children's wing or the south wing. The I wonder how the parents felt about that. Yeah. I, I can only imagine. There's, uh, there is actually quite a lot of writing out there by... Mm -hmm. grown family members that were part of this um and there's you know it the kids that's all the kids knew for the most part they didn't know they had no comparison oh, sure. you know but the parents knew better it's... and it was it was hard on a lot of them um but so yeah the parents were allowed to visit but the children's department held jurisdiction over actual raising of the offspring. If the department suspected a parent and child were bonding too closely, the community would oh enforce a period of separation because the group wanted to stop the affection between the parents and the children. Which is so fucked up. The children's department had a male and a female supervisor mm -hmm. to look after the children between ages 2 and 12. The supervisors made sure the children followed the routine, dressing, prayers, breakfast, work, school, lunch, work, playtime, supper, prayers, and study, which were, quote, adjusted according to age and ability. It is said stirpiculture was the first positive eugenics experiment in the United States, although it was not recognized as such because of the religious framework from which it emerged. I argue... Fucking yikes. Uh, huh? Fucking yikes. Right. I argue there is a positive there. So, okay, in fact, I am going to give a trigger warning now for child abuse and, well, pedophilia. I'm going to keep it brief and avoid details, but uh, please skip ahead, like, three minutes if you need to. Now, I would argue the refusal to allow close bonding between parents and their offspring is abuse alone. But I became increasingly enraged and disgusted by the worst part that no one seems to call out for what it truly was, which is definitely sexual assault and pedophilia. You see, 
Yes. Male continence and teen hormones do not mix. Male continence is no. something that you, you know, you have to practice or figure out. I guess I don't have those parts. Uh, but once the children went through puberty, and reminder, puberty does not mean they're no longer fucking children. They would be assigned. Oh, no. Those frontal lobes are still oh, God, yeah. cooking. They would be assigned to older men and women to engage in sexual acts. Specifically, around 14 males would be sent to, quote, interviews with a spiritually devout postmenopausal woman. With these women chosen specifically so they would not get pregnant from the boys who had not yet learned to control the climax. On the other side, around the age of 12, <laughs> fucking 12. <coughs> females uh, were likewise given to so-called interviews with old men in the community which what the fuck they're 12 they have nothing to control that none of it is on them yeah. uh this mandate that the young teens exclusively only have sex with older men and women partially to control pregnancies and partially to make sure more quote holy members were the ones to introduce the use to quote, holy pleasures of sex, was a strictly maintained practice until the teens were deemed old enough to have, quote, interview requests with one another granted by intermediary. The fact that this is not called out more is fucking appalling to me, and it also negates every possible good thing that this community ever did. So fuck them and fuck their silverware. Because honest yep. to God, it, it's disgusting. So how the hell did silverware work itself in all this to begin with? <laughs> uh, the short answer is... Uh, <laughs> yes, do tell. <laughs> short answer is that uh, love doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> By the mm. beginning of the Civil War, the United community was numbering in the hundreds, but struggling financially. They needed to find a way to bring money in and do so pretty fast. Uh, the group's first... Major business venture was trying to grow and sell fruit, but harsh winters of upstate New York made that task a little bit difficult. <laughs> yeah. They next turned to several other business ideas, uh, like uh, making leather bags, fine thread, and metal traps, with the trapping business becoming a booming industry in America during the mid-19th century. Their metal traps actually sold really well. But hmm. they knew that it wasn't going to last. And so the community sought to diversify its income sources even more. And the story goes that in 1877, a member of the community, one of which whose offspring will eventually write a book about the group, uh, was sitting, and that's in the show notes, the link, was sitting on the banks of the river and noticed a silverware factory nearby. He figured that they were on the same river so they could just as easily make such silverware. I don't know how that lines up, but hmm. by 1879, the Oneida community was doing just that, and it was a freaking hit. Like, it still is around to this day. So their get-rich-quick scheme actually yeah, worked. Yeah, it did. Uh, this might be the only example of that right? that I have ever actually seen. So the hmm. community lasted until John Humphrey Noyes attempted to pass leadership to his son, Theodore. This move hmm. was unsuccessful because Theodore was, well, an agnostic, for starters, and he lacked his dad's talent for leadership. The move also divided the community as communitarian James W. Towner attempted to take control for himself, Towner and a breakaway group eventually moved to California, where they convinced the government to create a new municipality for them. Um, you may have heard of it. Oh. It's called Orange County. <laughs> uh, within, right? Within the commune, there was uh, finally a debate about when children should be initiated into sex and by whom. There was also much debate about its practices as a whole. The founding members at this point were like aging or deceased and many younger communitarians desired to enter into like exclusive traditional marriages. 
the (laughs) final straw was a campaign by Professor John Mears of Hamilton College against the community. This guy is my hero. He called for a protest Mm -hmm. meeting against the Oneida community attended by 47 clergy members. John Humphrey Noyes was informed by a trusted advisor, Myron Kinsley, that a warrant for his arrest on the charges of statutory rape was imminent. Noyes, being the Hmm. fucking coward he was, fled the Oneida Community Mansion House and the country in the middle of the night uh, in June of 1879, never to return to the U.S., Shortly afterward, he wrote his followers from Niagara Falls, Ontario, and recommend that, you know, maybe complex marriage should, you know, kind of be abandoned. And it was. Hmm. Shortly after following external pressure. I don't think complex marriage was the issue, yeah, no, though. Right. It's not. It's the how you're handling right. the. It's 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 the pedophilia. It's the statutory rape. Like, that's yes. the issue. Yes. So shortly after following external pressures, the community soon broke apart with some of the members reorganizing as a joint stock company. Um, and that's the and then marital partners normalized their status with the partners that they were like currently cohabitating at the time of the reorganization. Mm-hmm. So over 70 community members actually entered into traditional marriages the following year. Um, during the early 20th century, the new company Oneida Community Limited Neared its focus to silverware. So the animal trap business was sold in 1912, their silk business in 1916, and their canning was discontinued as unprofitable in 1915. In 1947, hmm. embarrassed by their f- legacy, uh, Noise descendants burned the group's records. Whoops. Mm-hmm. The Joint Stock Corporation. Um, that I mentioned earlier still exists and is a major producer of cutlery under the brand name Oneida Limited. In September 2004, Oneida Limited announced that it would cease all U.S. manufacturing operations at the beginning of 2005, ending a 124-year tradition. The company continues to design and market products that are manufactured overseas. The company has been selling off its manufacturing facilities. The most recent, the distribution center in Cheryl, New York, was closed. Uh, administrative offices still remain in the Oneida area. The last original hmm. member of the community, Ella Florence Underwood, uh, died on June 25, 1950, in Kenwood, New York, near Oneida, New York. Uh, before I end this, I wanted to mention an interesting little tidbit. In 1860, a problematic 19-year-old named Charles Julius Guiteau claimed he wanted to join the community, but famously didn't like to work, even though everyone on the property, including Noise himself, labored heavily every day. Isn't that kind of one of the points of the community? Uh, Guiteau said, not Guiteau, (laughs) Guiteau wanted ass. Uh, (laughs) He said he... I mean, fair enough. He... he, uh, He had a very quick temper and was often seen gesturing or muttering, frequently idling away at work hours sitting in a corner by himself. So not surprisingly, he wasn't real popular with Oneida's women. In fact, Guiteau was so unpopular at Oneida that he earned the nickname Get Out from the female members of the community. (laughs) (laughs) Noise would later describe well. Guiteau as being, quote, addicted to self-abuse. You know, masturbation. Guiteau mm. spent five unsatisfying years at Oneida. And if you don't recognize his name and wonder why I'm bringing him up, on July 2nd, 1881, he walked up behind President James Garfield at the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station and shot him twice. Once in the arm, once yes. in the back, and Garfield fell to the floor where he would never recover from his wounds, dying two months later. Yep. So, he was also, Gitto also was a ginger. Um, Creepy Mm. little fucker. Um, They're all just, so that, that is the roller coaster brief, because there's so much uh, story of Oneida Silverware and Free wow. Love. Who knew that all of that went into making forks? Right? 
<clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool with the exception of anything involving children. Right. Like, like the raising of or the sexual initiation right. of. Those things can fuck off into the sea. But the rest of it is kind of all right. It, it is. Like, I love the amount of control the women have the like the consensual and the fact that 70 of them got married after it was disbanded proved that it was still it was still a a good way to i mean they had affection and love and all of that was still there like they still permanently bonded it was still fruitful relationships in that point unless it was just trauma bonding but well, yeah, but it also seems like people were, at least women specifically, were able to say no. Oh, definitely. If they weren't interested in the people who were interested in them. So, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm so irritated that they had to fuck it up with, uh, with children. Right, I mean, and... <laughs> because it's so reasonable otherwise like work hard fuck right. a lot great Perfect. yeah yes fuck a lot with consent after working hard great right. and why give all that consent and be that progressive and then take that consent away from kids you know yeah i, I mean it's like the, i don't i think that if it was so important for the whole male continence thing, that skill, I'm going to call it, mm -hmm. could have been learned by themselves with themselves. Yes. There is absolutely no rhyme or reason to me that any of the females, let alone starting at fucking 12, Yep. would need to learn anything right from old fuckers yeah not their job it's just not makes zero sense yeah i mean it it's one thing to have very specific opinions um like religiously about what you should or should not do with your mm -hmm. body because most religions have an aspect mm -hmm. of that but they don't usually involve anyone else except for the person who is either refraining from or doing whatever is right as prescribed by the religion. Yeah. Like, ugh. I'm just mad they had to go fuck I'm up. I'm mad too. I'm also mad that there is so much out there about this community that negates, eliminates, minimizes what they put the teens through. And I guess, you know, you could argue, well, with, you know, 300 total members, how many were teens? It doesn't matter if it was only one. Like, it just, the fact that they had that, that was their belief, and human beings had to go through that is disgusting and it's just you know like it's mentioned but not they're like oh they learn from teens learn the children learn from the children learn sex from actually like you're using these terms together and you're seeing no no issue like nothing like i found one one article that called it disgusting or not it was there was some phrase that was like, you know, not on par with societal norms or whatever. And I was like, come on. Yeah. Like, dude, no, it's 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 wrong. Like, it is so wrong. I wonder, though, if that is because at the time that much was being written about the community, like, if you were a teenager who is a victim of that, 
it's reasonable to believe that in your lifetime, maybe you wouldn't want that pointed out since the community was so small. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that being a reason. Right. Why you wouldn't um, <clears throat> necessarily point it out so vigorously at, like, within their lifetime. But after that, like... Right. Like, it's fair game at this point, I would think. I, I just think that they should be held accountable is what I'm, yeah. I'm deeming it. Oh, I, I agree. So, yeah, that is... That is the Oneida. The Oneida. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's all I can say at wow. this point. I mean, that's a whole lot of story uh, to consider when looking at your cutlery drawer. Right? <laughs> like, I don't. And their ads used to be so wonderfully catchy. Like, there's a lot about it. Like, there's so much that was like, oh, it's fun. Oh, free love. And. It's amazing. It's going to be so much fun. And I was like, you fucking did what now? Like, no, no. Fucking. Yeah. I mean. No. <laughs> Fascinating. There's just there are so many elements and some of them are so positive mm-hmm. and some of them are just monstrous. Yeah. And it. And I feel like at least most cults that you hear about don't have the positives column. Yeah, I mean. Like this one does. It's, it's very strange. It is. And then I'm looking at this, you know, the website for the mansion. It's still there. You can go stay at it. And I'm like, how are you pr- proud? Like, how are you like? shit went down there that shouldn't have gone down and you're like hey come stay here like, eh. yeah I think that it is like with a lot of things there is history that is not fine Yeah. so point out the history that is not fine and own it and talk about how it was wrong right. you can still also talk about the positive things right like, it doesn't have to be either or. You can absolutely bring up the mistakes that people made in the past and what you're doing to not make right. them again. I don't know. Maybe use some of the but, proceeds to, you know, fund childhood sex survivors, you know, salt survivors, you know, <laughs> something. Something. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. it's weird to me. It's weird to just be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to ignore this. It, it is weird. It's very weird. Anywho, huh. uh, you know what time it is? <laughs> I, I'm going to guess that it's time for the weekly, weekly worst way, worst way to die. What you got? Um, based on my very uh, recent new experiences... I'd say being lost in the 500 acres of woods that surround the boarding school Ooh. that I'm teaching at. Yeah. That would, that would be it. Yeah. That, oof. Yep. That, that would terrify 500. me. 500. Yeah. 500 acres. It's a lot. Um, mine is at it's the hands of some sexually frustrated man-child. That goes on to kill presidents? Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. great. Not great. There are far too many sexually frustrated man children right. in this world. Oof. So, hey, yeah. do you want to be spooky internet friends? You can find us uh, at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, to all the social medias, or you could just swing by bonesandbobbins.com. It's true, and there are links to all of our stuff. Um,. We don't really post on the artist formerly known as Twitter no. anymore. Yeah, I refuse to. Because, nope. Change the name and yeah, no, it's a shit show. Yeah, and we, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. We may or may not jump on the, on to the threads. That's true. If people are interested. Anyway. Um, oh, gosh, my. My mind 
home stretch home stretch oh, love no. it's 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 running up on 24 hours after and mm-hmm. that is when it <laughs> really hits god i'm gonna be great at tarot <laughs> you're gonna be wonderful <laughs> And while you are bouncing around our social media, don't forget to go ahead and rate and review this podcast. Because, as you, I'm sure, know by now, it pleases the internet gremlins. And that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls! We need them. Yes, please. And on that note... Let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. (laughs) Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.